0: You're listening to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek review. I hope you enjoy the show. Don't say a word while we're discussing Girls Can Tell, the third studio album by Spoon. It was produced by Brit Daniel, Jim Eno, and Mike McCarthy, and was released on February 20th, 2001 by Merge Records. It reached number 46 in 2002 on Billboard's top independent albums and was placed at number 96 on Pitchfork's list of the top 200 albums of the 2000s. My guest today, they say that believing is art, which is a good thing because my guest is a graphic artist, a comic book artist, and a bullshit artist. Please welcome to the program, Nick Pendleton. Nick, how you doing, my friend? Not too bad, Derek. How's it going? it's going well. I'm really excited to talk about this record because this is uh, one of the first ones that made my initial list and it's been hanging around. This is season three and still haven't had a chance to talk about it. Why don't we just go ahead and jump right in? How did this album enter your life?
1: All right. Yeah, I had to think about that for a little bit because I was just realizing that, and I think this is probably true with a lot of people, from the age of 5 to 25, I have like An absolute, complete memory of moments and things that happened. But after 25, after being married a while, having children, these kinds of things, it's really hard to remember what you had for breakfast this morning. So while I was playing the album, I kind of went back a little bit. In the early 2000s, um, it would have been about 2004, because that's when Poles Antics came out. I was looking for music to listen to. I had been kind of just listening to my back catalog of stuff that I had for a very long time while raising little kids and working and doing things like that and I was kind of feeling like stagnated like I needed to hear something new I was completely not plugged into anything anymore I was really like overly domesticated I guess I had heard about some new bands that had come out so I ran out and I think I grabbed like a handful of CDs one day just kind of sight unseen hadn't heard any of them Like, it was everything from, I mean, I remember I got Interpol's Antics, which is their second album, that day. And so this would have been around 2004. After I listened to that group of albums, I decided I really liked Interpol, so I went back to go because they had one album before and so i went back and got that and that was when i found this album by spoon as well it came out i think a year before turn on the bright lights did so i grabbed those two albums instead of just the interpol album it was something i played while i worked you know because i'm working a lot and man there was no podcasts there was no social media really. And you were just trying to fill your time with like stimulus while you're like working at a desk by yourself. Albums, I got tons of albums and I just had music flowing all the time trying to fill up that dead air. And so this one was on heavy rotation during that time.
0: All yeah, right. right. Yeah. So I knew you were a big fan of uh, Interpol. I think uh, the, the one time that we actually met in person, you t- we talked a little bit about that. I was thinking also about how this one came into my life and I'm about 99% sure I just read a good review, probably in the AV club and Mm -hmm. maybe in Pitchfork. And so I went back and reread those and I think it was both. I think both said something good. I probably found it at a good price at Vinyl Fever. I don't remember if I got this used or if, if it knew it was because it was on Merge and I think Merge CDs were a little bit cheaper than major label CDs. If I am remembering correctly, so if I picked this one up new, it was probably because it was twelve ninety nine as opposed to fourteen ninety nine or something like that. Just instant. This was an instant love for me, which we'll talk about when we get into the track by track. But yeah, so this one came out. I think it was, I said, two thousand one. I, I have a lot of good memories of music from this time, even though this was a, a strange time in my life. So I, I didn't uh, settle down quite as early as you did. Yeah, so that's I'd,
1: true. You guys were going through a strange, <laughs> strange part of your life about that time. Yeah, yeah.
0: I had worked at a, an independent record store a year or two before this, and so I, I learned about a lot of new great music, a lot of new bands. And then I took a desk job, a desk job, and then I had enough money to actually buy music. <laughs> so from let's say 2000 to about the first half of 2004, I have such strong pull to those records. It's almost like you have those, you have your your high school records, and you have your college records. And then usually it's just a big, like you're saying, then just things start happening. So this is like a a third moment for me when I first made up this list, a list of albums to do for this show. I think 75% of them came out between 2000 and 2004, or they were stuff I was listening to at that time because I'd gotten into certain things like Nick Cave or Johnny Cash or Leonard Cohen, who all had... Current records out, but I was listening also to some of their older stuff, and it's all kind of a, a bit of a jumble. But so it's a it was a really productive time for me to listening to music and and learning about new bands, and this was one of them.
1: Yeah, I think there was a real wave of stuff there, really in the early aughts. There really about that time, I think, when we were all looking for something new, it just showed up. I think. The artists were also going we need something new and so they kind of started this little mini this mini wave of you know uh what art rock or indie art rock or whatever you want to call it yeah so
0: there was a bit of the the garage rock revival there was indie rock there was a little bit of the dance punk probably just getting started again so right yeah good memories of this time just because it was the right time in my life or if this was an, an especially good time in music you know you always like to think that but i think it just comes down to I was receptive to it. There was also really good stuff coming out at that time. I
1: think it was custom made for for us at that
0: time. Maybe so. I'd like to think that everything was uh, geared directly towards me, and I just gobbled it all up. So let's go ahead and get started here with our track-by-track analysis. Take a look at Side 1, Song 1, Everything Hits at Once.
1: Don't say a word. The last
0: one still song makes me fall in love with this album every time i hear it i just yeah. i just love the song so much and you just kind of fall into this song cuz it's got that like slight synth line and then just these drums come in it's just so good it's just i mean this is the fastest i think i've ever fallen in love with a record like in that first 5 seconds i knew i was going to love i was just going to absolutely love this record just so much about what this band does well is right here at the beginning. The way the drums go and the keys that you don't really think about keyboards when you think about spoon because they just seem like such a a guitar rock band. But what the keys do here are just so important. And they're just, in this song, they're just really bouncy. And I like how they never really dominate the sound. Uh, You know, some bands, they have the keys just to back just kind of sweeten things up a little bit. You don't notice them as much. And obviously, other bands are just completely synthesizer keyboard dominant. And this one, they just it really it's utilized as a tool. And I think that just helps with their sound. And so this one, it's just got like that that underlying synth line, but also just that bouncy bit going on. Uh, and it's a perfect. Like lyrically, it's just this great. I just got broken up with, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not sure what I'm doing anymore. Just it feels like it came out of nowhere. That opening yeah. line, you know, don't say a word. The last one still stinging is, man, that's such a great opener. And my favorite image in this song is when he talks about the traffic we become on the way back home. And I think that line burns hotter for me, even than the, I I go to bed at night and think you're next to me, Mm -hmm. which is a pretty common feeling. And I think a common thing you're going to hear in in music and and whatnot, that just the almost forget you're so used to that person being there that you almost forget. But just this thought of no matter what your problems are, it all just blends with everybody else's problems. And right now you're nothing more than another car in traffic. And something about that realization, and I don't even know if that's necessarily what he's trying to say, but that's what I've always taken from it. Man, I just, I love this song. What do you think about it?
1: Yeah, no, I can't agree more. This is, so I look at every album as, so you've got one track that's like the Rosetta Stone. That's the one that like says, okay, well, this is what this album is and this is what we are as a band. And that's the one that you listen to over and over and over again when you don't know the deeper tracks and then it kind of opens those other songs up to you. And then that's how you can plunge into the album. Does that sound crazy or does that, cause that's no. how it is for me.
0: Oh, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. There's some, sometimes there's, it's that first track, but other times it really is just, there's something that unlocks the magic of the album. And it just right. happens to be this one. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And it just so happens that it's the first track of the album. And that's, and that's not very common. That's pretty rare, actually. They, they usually bury it on purpose in the album, um, the one that's going to be the video or going to be, get the radio play or whatever. But this one, yeah, it comes right out of the gate. I don't know if you're really a lyrics guy or not in some of your other stuff. I heard you're not, you're not as hep on the lyrics. You're more, you know, the music stuff. I usually read the lyrics, but I'm also a big believer in death of the author. So once they write it and put it out there, it's completely up to us to do with it, what we want and interpret it how we want. So, um, and that's how all of these things become deeply personal for me. Every album that I love was written specifically for me and, (laughs) Completely talks to my situation, no matter what. And uh, this is exactly that one. Yeah, he wakes up and it's like, it's the gut punch realization that, oh, that wasn't a dream. That really happened. And this and this is where we are. And it kind of makes the album, and, and on retrospect, it kind of makes the album feel like, not literally like a concept album. It feels like a movie to me. This album always feels like a movie. It feels like a Robert Altman film. <laughs> it's kind of like shortcuts, but it's made with stories by like David Foster Wallace, Donald Antrim, Rick Moody, instead of like Raymond Carver stuff. You know, it's just, it's kind of geared toward Gen Xers, I would yeah. say. This is that first vignette. It sets the theme of the, of the movie, quote unquote, the album, and it sets the tone and it kind of gives you an idea of what you got, you know, ahead of you and, you know, the people who are going to be walking in and out from track to track. So, yeah, this one just kind of I mean, if they didn't plan it this way, it's one of the best musical accidents on an album that I've I've heard.
0: Yeah, I can't I uh, can't agree more with that. So uh, I, I'm generally not a lyrics guy. Most of the time with rock lyrics, it's more about the way they sing it and and the way the music helps carry the emotion. Yeah. A lot of these times, you know, they know, they feel like stories. And then if you really look at the lyrics, they don't say a whole lot.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, and it's just everything else helps build that. And that's what I take away more. A lot of times I'll, you know, I've listened to an album a hundred times and I don't know, I'll, I'll have songs where I don't know any of the words really off the, off the top of mm-hmm. my head, even, even the songs that I love. There are quite a few songs on here where I, I do understand the lyrics and the lyrics are very meaningful to, uh, to my experience with this record. This is, one of the, this is one of the few lyric records that isn't a Leonard Cohen record for me. So,
1: <laughs> Yeah. Well, and also you can't discount the fact that this album is in and out in like 40 minutes. It's a short album. It's not that long.
0: And that's great because this is I've talked a lot about the mid nineties bloat. I know I want to say their the record that came out before this, a series of sneaks, which I haven't listened to in a long time and I do need to revisit. And I want to say that one had way, I think that had like 14 tracks, if I remember correctly. But that may have just been with the reissue and the two the two add-ons. Uh so yeah, this is a lean. 11 tracks which is nice. You give me you give me a 10 11 track album that clocks in at less than 40 minutes and I'm a happy man because I feel like that's much more focused writing. Even you know there's albums that I love that could use a little bit of trimming. Uh, right. But this is not one of those albums. So this is uh it's been a real fun and breezy listen these last this last week kind of re- reconnecting with this album. So that brings us on to track 2, believing is art. What do you think about this one?
1: Yeah, this one comes in really smooth. Um, it's kind of a smooth um, with the with the keyboards and just kind of the you know the the raspy drums coming in, and then it hits you with that that hard you know grungy guitar. With this album, it's so strange. This is such just an unapologetic rock album. It's just a rock album, and yet, and in its and it's its own thing. But you feel these weird, at times, like these weird shades of things coming in, like, what is it, like Nirvana even. Like, I felt like little pieces of Nirvana influence in here. A lot of, like, British Invasion influence. I think that's where a lot of that keyboard comes from, From me, for me at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And and this one just is one of those ones where it's the slow build, and then, you know, and then it explodes. It's kind of like those emotional ones. Like, I would say this would be, like, on a running playlist, yeah. Like, if, you know, you're taking a hard hill or something like that. This is a really great way to, to move in into the next stage of the album. Yeah, no, I really like this one. And again, like I said, I usually have problems with remembering the song names and the tracks, especially with this album. I just listen to it straight through. I don't do a lot of track jumping and I don't usually separate. Well, I would say, with an exception of a couple songs, I don't usually separate it out. So what did you think of this one?
0: I love how this one begins because track one ends with the drums kind of slowly going out. And then this one starts with the drums coming right back up, almost like they changed their mind. Like, nope, we're not done yet. I like how it fades in that way. And it's got the quieter on the on the verses and heavier on the on the chorus. So, you know, that that little trick we all learned from Nirvana and the Pixies and whatnot. And just like you said, how smooth it is at the beginning. But the guitar on the chorus, when the guitar really comes in, it sounds like he's choking it to death. And it's great. Yeah. You know, I just love it just like he wanted something very specific. And God damn it, if he didn't squeeze the life out of it to get what he wanted from that sound. And it's got a real strut to it. You know, anybody can write a good song, let's mm-hmm. just say it. There's bands that you don't like that have one song that you do like. So just because they wrote Everything Hits at Once doesn't necessarily mean that this album is going to fall in line. And it does, because this just keeps on going. So it's got a, 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 a different sound. It's not like they rewrote the uh, the first song again, but it just, it keeps moving with that what they're going to try to accomplish with this record. And I really enjoy it. This is a really good track too.
1: Yeah. It's a really good scene change from one. So this guy, this one guy is waking up in his place and his life is completely changed after a breakup. We transition to a new scene of a guy going out or a gal going out, you know, like going out on the day. It's like, we're picking up at the beginning of the day and we're moving through a day with all these different characters. And it does feel like a different character, a different mood and tone, but you're right. It does just transition right over. It's like a fade into a new
0: scene. It's a different character, but you can tell you're in the same movie. So it Mm -hmm. still has all that. And this is where you can really see uh, Britt Daniels with that clip diction that he does sometimes just the way he kind of cuts off his words and so you you mentioned some influences and, and when we get to uh, I think track 4 I'll, t- I'll tell you the influence that I hear pretty strongly on this but I'm going to wait. I'm going to I'm going to buy my time Nick. So we're going <laughs> to move on to tra- track 3, Me and the Bean. Which I just found out is a cover. I did not know that, yeah, or, or, it is or a cover. I did know that and totally forgot about it. I couldn't find it. It's not on the original is not on Spotify, and it was not on YouTube. I couldn't no, find I, it anywhere.
1: I think it was just uh, written by an Austin musician. They're an Austin band, right? And I think they were. Yeah. It was an Austin musician, and I don't know if it was ever recorded. I wasn't able to find it either.
0: Okay. Cause I was under the, maybe they just played it live. Cause I knew it was an Austin band and the guy who wrote it eventually joined Spoon and the next album. So he ended up playing bass oh. for the, for, I don't know for how long, but so he, he joined the band eventually. And so I just assumed that would be out there somewhere, but it was not. And i tell you, I fucking love this song. This is <laughs> such a great song. Just that piano hit at the very beginning. So, there's a lot with the Mm -hmm. keyboards here. This sounds like it's a legitimate piano. So, it's got that minor key piano just boom right at the beginning. This is another one where it feels like he's telling a story, even though when you look at the lyrics, there's not a whole lot there. But I think, you know, the emotion really comes through in how this is all really put together. This is one of those, I put this song on a mixed disc for somebody. A woman that I was dating. I did the I did the I did the mixed misc mix, mixed disc thing. And this is one of the songs that had made it. Now uh, I listened to another podcast called Tune Styles. So hello to the Tune Styles folks out there. And they talked about how when they were younger, they would make these mixtapes and, you know, just all the lengths that you had to go through to get a good mixtape and how they feel like with the way things are with uh, you know, with MP3s that it's a lot easier and it doesn't mean quite as much. And I would like to push back a little bit because even though maybe physically you didn't have to spend as much time weighing out your time and you could do a little A-B tests, you know, which song sounds better in what spot, I still put a ton of effort into any mixed thing that I made. Sure. And... I had to listen to this song a lot to get, the <laughs> the smell of her off of this song if that makes any sense oh
1: yeah no you know, I totally it, get it so
0: I can listen to it now and not think about that time but there was a long time because just that line I made the CD and I even you know made a cover for it and put the things in and I and I picked out one line from each song and put it on the packaging and the you know your blood is in my heart that I chose and and I just I just everything about this song is great and just a little it's this is a little bit darker sounding uh, not right. necessarily in subject matter but just as has that minor key feel to it what did you think about this
1: yeah i actually probably don't like this one as much as you do that doesn't mean i don't like it it's uh probably one of the more minor track it's one of two tracks that are probably my two least favorite on the album of course we're talking about an album we both fucking love because it always before i found out before i even knew it was a cover i'm like this one just sounds a little different than the rest and it feels a little more generic now i don't know again like we said we couldn't listen to the original and it i'm curious to know you know, what they did to rearrange it, or if they even really did much rearranging from the original. One thing I do really like about this, I don't know if you listen with headphones at all or not, but this track really shows off. I think they were working like in a home studio when they yeah. recorded this album.
0: Yeah, I think it's the drummer's home, according to everything I saw, that it was Jimino. Jimino's living room is how it's credited.
1: <laughs> yeah, and a friend of mine back in the like mid-late 90s, he cut an album, and he cut his album in a guy's basement studio. It was the basement of his finished basement of his house. They had the singers in one room. They had the board and like the guitarists in another room and all this. St- so you can really tell, you can really feel that when you're listening with headphones. And that reminds me through this whole album that it feels like any one of these songs would be awesome or feels like it should be heard in a, like a club or a bar or something. Mm, yeah. And that kind of goes with the fact that they're so short, they're in and out, you know, they're like three and a half minutes max per track, but no, you're right. If you take the lyrics, it's like great thing with a song is like when you listen to a song, you go, that's so profound and it's so great. So I'm going to write these lyrics down. You're like you, li- you list, look at the lyrics and you go, well, you take the lyrics away from the music and it's like this person should really be committed. It's like it doesn't make much sense and the emotions <laughs> are way too intense, but it works, you know, music <laughs> works musically. It doesn't work so much well as poetry. So, right. yeah, no, but it, this one is really good that and I was just even today re-listening to the album this morning that your blood is in my heart thing I'm just chewing on that over and over again I don't really know how I feel or what you know what I take away from that but that is a line that that just dwells just yeah. stays so that's a really good one
0: yeah I agree so let's move on to track 4 lines in the suit
1: Yeah, so Lines in the Suit. I really love this song musically. Like, it's just really... This is a really great rock song. I really like... I am not equipped to talk about, you know, like the different parts of, you know, like how a song works or music, you know, how, you know, keys and things like that. This one is just really... it. it the music powers it through really well. And there is this weird... I wrote some notes about this one because there is this kind of there's like a dick measuring contest in this song he's comparing himself to this this guy like early on there seems to be a recurring theme a recurring theme of not living up to male male mentors or um idols and things like that um a lot of the young male characters you know the point of view characters uh who are male in this always feel like they're not measuring up to like father figures authorities And so it feels like the first two the first two uh, verses of this deal with that kind of weird that weird feeling of not measuring up and feeling kind of a little, you know, small and not really manly. But then it kind of does this weird reverse on you with the last verse. It cuts to a female character and it goes on how she did everything right. She did all the stuff she was supposed to do. She went to school. She got the she got the job and she still feels exactly the way he does. It's like, it, you can't win for trying. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's kind of like a killer lyric. it kind of, and that part is the gut punch at the end. It's like the twist on it. It's like, he's, you know, he's got his story, but it's like, no, I did everything the way you should. And I, you know, actualized myself the way that you feel like you're not. And it still doesn't matter. I still don't feel fulfilled. I feel like I'm just a cog in the machine. And I think just, you know, the juxt- you know, just juxtaposition with the music, I just think that that Really, and I love I love it because, and that's the thing that lingers, you know, great albums. Um, there's albums that are really poppy and good and you like them for a while and they're kind of bubblegum, but then they pass on. But the reason that you keep going back to albums like this and keep re-listening is because of the depth like that and, the you know, the kind of soul to it that really talks to you. So, and that's, yeah, that's what I think about that. What did you think of this song?
0: This is a great, this is another great song. Uh, it's got that shuffle beat and just those stabs of guitar. Uh, and it's got that walking bass feel to it. And once again, with his clip diction, the first thing that I really latched onto with this band is that they remind me a lot of Tom Petty. And that's what I was talking about before. So, you know, there, there are obviously other influences, but this album sounds to me like if, if Tom Petty would have recorded Wildflowers in 1978 hmm. or if he would have recorded Damn the Torpedoes in 2001. It would sound like that. So it has just that mix of you know Tom Petty was just so rock and roll, just so American music to his bone, and that's why there's so many songs that it sounds like people are ripping off Tom Petty because it's hard not to. Because he just, <laughs> it just he was like the skeleton of, yeah. of of rock music, and so much of the what they do here without actually sounding like Tom Petty. But I think that thing that that Daniels does sometimes with his voice. And there's two tracks on this album that I think really I would have loved to have heard Petty record this song just a little bit because, you know, he had that strained relationship with his father. The male role models thing that you're talking about and how lines in the suit can mean that, you know, they're nice and it's a nicely pressed and ironed suit and you look like you're it's all angles and money, you know, Mm -hmm. but lines in the suit could also be. You know creases could be wrinkles it could be the i've been sitting at a desk and i have to go smoke two cigarettes in a row before i can finish off my fucking day like our second protagonist that you talk about there at the end i, I like that vague meaning behind the title and and well just everything works for this musically as well as, as lyrically and and this is one there'll be another one i'll talk about later where i think i'd love to hear petty do it would have loved to have heard petty do it so we're going to move on to track five the fitted shirt when I was still growing up And dad head off to work He put coat and tie on fitted
1: shirt Nothing else will fit right All seem so
0: I like how the opening strut of this a bit. This is my I think my least favorite song on the album, which I don't know, one of those I remember reading a couple of different reviews over the years of this and a lot of times people there were people who didn't really care for this album but thought that this was the standout track. They thought yeah. this was this was what really made them. And I like the song cuz again, this is a great album. I don't dislike it, but if I had to rank a, a least favorite song, it would probably be this one because of this middle section. Because I, I really like how it starts and I really like how it ends. I like how the the just the the tone on the guitar on the solo that takes out the song is just. Awesome, But there's that middle part where he's just basically saying the fitted shirt <laughs> like 28 yeah. times or something. <laughs> and this one's just a little too looking back, whereas opposed to, you know, he does, there has been obviously some nostalgia and, and we've talked about, or I think we hinted at Boone originally, their first album came out, I think on Matador. Right. Uh, and then they were picked up by Elektra, and they had a terrible time at Elektra. And you know, they even wrote two "fuck you" songs to their A and R guy and somebody else for that. Like, so if you listen to the re-release of uh, a series of Sneaks, and you hear the agony of Lafitte and Lafitte, don't fail me now. Oh yeah, so they wrote two songs about the guy that signed them, and they're they're pretty fucking bitter. And they're great. They're great songs. And so this is a band that had just. Well, you know, to go back to the previous song where you talked about, you know, I feel so washed up at at such a tender age and it almost feels ironic now because Spoon went on to become one of the most successful bands, uh, you know, successful indie bands of the 2000s. And so while that one had a little bit of the, you know, kind of lamenting their own recent past, the fitted shirt is just a little too looking back to my dad or to my grandfather Mm -hmm. and... If there was more to say than just the fitted shirt a bunch of times, I probably would like it more because, again, it it starts and ends really great. But, you know, for a three-minute song, that minute in the middle <laughs> really kind of drags itself out. What did you think?
1: Yeah, well, and again, that's where it feels like this is a bar song, right? Like that was just kind of like they're making that up on the fly. It's kind of like, you know, you let the guy take his drum solo and his guitar solo. And then you do a little noodling on the keyboard and everybody's half drunk and there's smoke in the air and, you know, everybody's kind of packed in there. You know, it's, that's more acceptable in that. And I feel like it doesn't translate well to an album situation as much. I'd love to see this performed like on Austin city limits or something, you know, rather than to, but it, I totally agree with what you mean. It feels weirdly regressive in that, like lyrically in that way, that kind of father worship stuff. I can't really relate to a lot of father worship stuff myself personally so it's a little harder to uh to relate to that you know as a lyric and it is a strange one i think this one would work better as a live as a live jam rather than it than better than it works on the album it feels almost like a kind of oh like a break in the album or a little bit of a like a transition like this is a transitional song or something
0: an excuse to play it live sounds good to me i like that that uh A little bit of a, of a jam. Sounds good. So we'll move on to track six, Anything You Want.
1: If there's anything you
0: What are your thoughts here?
1: Okay, well, I think, I think as we, I think this is kind of a little therapeutic, Derek, because I feel like as we sit and discuss this album, I'm starting to learn new reasons why I like it. I tend to like these albums that have the nice, uh, almost Calliope-style, you know, uh, organ riffs. And this one starts with that organ riff. And it goes in, you know, and it's just a nice, steady lyric. It's a, just a solid rock song. Again, I'm sorry, I can't really talk much to style and stuff like that, but I do like this one quite a bit. And again, it's one of the, another one of these is just a vignette. I feel like it's a cluster of stories about these younger people, you know, probably people in their late 20s, early 30s, not settled down, transitional periods in their lives. No, so this one is just, yeah. I don't really have a whole lot to say about this, and I don't really have any notes about
0: it. I don't have a, a ton of notes on this one either. I, I do have to mention that organ, because it's there. there's a little bit of the organ sound along with a, a, a keyboard line as well, kind of bouncing off each other. It's a pretty short tune. I like this one, and I, I really like how he just sort of spits out that last verse, where it just, it just feels like, eh, I, I don't want this song to be more than two minutes and 20 seconds long, so I'm just going to sing really fast at the end. And it always kind of surprises me when it's done, because... It's just a different approach they usually do. So it's a, it's a good song that I don't have a whole lot to say about. But that does bring us to the end of side one of Girls Can Tell by Spoon with my special guest, Nick Pendleton. Now, Nick, I mentioned at the intro that I know for a living you are a graphic artist, but I know that your your passion is comic book art, uh, along with, I'm sure, a few other things. And I know over the years you have uh, have done quite a few things. And so what, do you guys, what are you working on these days? Let
1: me see. Over... was it the last few years i've been working on a little pet project that was a comic book series just a like a short six issue series of short stories that i've been doing with these characters it's uh, called feral boy and gilgamesh at the end of the world it's kind of a little post-apocalyptic comedy it's really like i said it's really a pet project it's something i was just doing for fun um i met online this uh pretty talented young artist or uh, writer from uh, california tom beavis and i was uh, working on you know this stuff uh working on some stories and kind of hit a brick wall didn't really know where to go what to do with it felt like it needed a little fresh blood and so i just asked him one day if he would be interested in writing a couple you know short stories You know, like little six page stories to scripts for, you know, for me to draw and he was more than happy to do it. So we ended up kind of going on this road of collaborating initially on it. I published the first three issues of it over the last so many years. Gosh, what was it? I think the last one came out in 2018. And I have been slowly but surely working on the fourth issue because some life stuff, uh, I had to put it aside for a little while, moved into a new house, and I'm getting all set up in my new office slash studio, and I have been uh, unpacking steadily my art materials and things like that and the pages I have done. And so I will probably be getting back to work on that here in the next uh, couple months. And hopefully before the end of the year, have another issue of that out.
0: Oh, terrific. And if somebody wanted to find out more about that, where could they find it to, uh, to, to purchase it?
1: Well, the best place to find me is on Facebook. I have a Facebook artist page, and it's uh, Nicholas Pendleton Art. You just look it up on Facebook as that. There's also a feralboyandgilgamesh.com. It's all one word, all spelled out. Um, and that's kind of the promo page for it. Then that's where you can find me. And uh, I usually. Respond if anybody wants to to talk or has any questions about anything. So, yeah, that's where you can find me online.
0: And are you still doing anything? I know this is going to be a little old school, but this is uh, where you were when we first met uh, mm-hmm. many, many years ago. Uh, do you do anything more with uh, Super Grape?
1: <laughs> no, actually, I was trying to think back if I was still I was working on the sequel to that book, I think from oh, what would have been? 2001 or 2002 through probably almost 2004 era, I had to kind of, you know, some strange things happen and I had to abandon that project. And and then of course I moved in a different direction. I think really what I am is I'm a cartoonist who's really a frustrated novelist. I always (laughs) wanted to write a great novel and I've written a few novels, but I haven't been able to insert the great part in there yet and the publishable part into that whole thing. So I always get distracted from cartooning and art and things like that with just writing you know just sitting and and pumping out page after page of nonsense on on the computer or handwriting and stuff like that and i'll tell you that stuff was so much easier before smartphones and and social media because i could sit <laughs> for hours and write on a pad or sit on my word processor for hours and pound out pages but there's too many distractions these days all the best to anybody who can actually write a cogent and coherent story anymore
0: yeah there's uh there's definitely you know rabbit holes amongst us that waiting for us to follow them down so it's yeah. uh, nice when you can find a way to get rid of the distractions so well looking forward to seeing more of the uh feral boy and gilgamesh and again i would encourage my listeners to take a look at that all right next we're gonna flip this bad boy over side two song seven take a walk This is a real rev up. Now, I'm not 100% sure that this is where the album splits. I don't have this one on vinyl, unfortunately. If anybody out there in Radioland does have it, doesn't want it, and wants to send it to me, I, I'll give you my address later. Uh, so, I'm not 100% sure that this is where it splits, but this felt like the best place to split because this one just really kicks it off. This is a this is a rave up. You know, there's just I, I love the the guitar. I love the energy at the end of the song. They're like finger snaps. I mean, there's a lot going on. This is the other song I would have loved to have heard Tom Petty's take on. Like If he would have lived long enough to do the Johnny Cash thing where he did a bunch of cover songs and a handful of his own and just him and a guitar or whatever, this is one of those that I would have loved to have heard him do. This just feels in his wheelhouse like that just basic, awesome rock music.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I don't have a ton more to say about it, but it's, you know, it's two and a half minutes. It just goes. I love the song. What do you think?
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I don't have a whole lot to say about it other than the fact that it's a good rock song. I mean, that's, <sighs> but you know, the, the, you bring up Tom Petty and he never came to mind. But now that you say it and I listen to the lyrics again, yeah, it's like he, I mean, you do kind of want to hear Tom Petty sing it because he, I feel like he's kind of channeling Tom Petty a little bit in his lyrical style or his uh vocal styling. Yeah. Yeah. And uh who was I trying to think? I was thinking in the la like in the last song, it feels almost like a Kinks type, like Davies Brothers a little thing here. But you're right. This is very that's another thing about this album. I think this is a good place to bring this up. I think the reason it makes me feel like these are all vignettes and jumping from character to character is it's kind of a schizophrenic record in the fact that it changes like tone and style a lot, but it really feels piece of a uh, you know of a whole it never feels disjointed but from song to song it's like you're getting a different side like spoon has different angles that they come at different Mm -hmm. songs with and you don't get two in a row most of the time that come at it from the same way you get more of the bar band you get somebody who like you know the a little more organ heavy You get something that is almost got Tom Waits-ish piano banging. You know, it's like it just, they come at it from all different angles and and they're kind of wearing their influences on their sleeves, but it's all, they put it all together and it doesn't feel derivative. It feels more homage-ish or like, you know, I don't know if I'm making any sense at this point with that.
0: No, I think you're making perfect sense because this is a band that obviously, you know, didn't come out of the void and you know, mm-hmm. they, they they're going to have their influences and like i said i you know it doesn't surprise me that other people don't necessarily hear tom petty this is a case where anytime i brought it up it, it's that whole like people will just pause for a second and you can you can tell they're listening to a spoon song in their head and then just got yes yes i i understand what you're saying uh, i do get a bit of the kinks and you said just just the, the use of keyboard and organ on this one uh, not necessarily this song, but on this album. It, it This is just, it's primal. And the thing that has been terrific about Spoon as their career is like each album after this one just stripped away even more and just got just to the basic of their sound. And it just, it's like, how much can we do with less? Seemed to be their mantra, at least for the next three records that came out after this one
1: like they didn't have anything to prove at that point like they figure oh, this is it this is what this is what we're looking for
0: and i remember one of the reviews mentioned that just because they they recorded this album before they had a record deal so they had been dropped from electra and they continued to work. And I think that's why it was recorded in somebody's house because they didn't have a budget at this point because they weren't on a label. One of the things that they felt was that this was almost a little too polished compared to their other stuff, just not because they were trying to, you know, whatever. It was just because they had time. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they, uh, they, they had more more time to, to, to work on the record as they were waiting for, as, you know, as they were seeking that next deal. The two, that two, three that came up before this I've listened to but this is this is like the start of Spoon for me. So this is their this is their sound more as opposed to series of sneaks. Yes. Uh, I think they just have that primal approach and it just uh, and that's what it works for this album because they, they there are keyboards all throughout it and the keyboard sound is pretty consistent but it's not overwhelming and the guitar sound does change but it's clearly the same guy playing the guitar. And I think the drumming and the bass, like you know, that they're not super noticeable. So this isn't really kind of show-offy uh, with the bass or really uh, complicated with the drumming. It's just, you know, those guys are in the pocket and they're gonna carry you where you need to go. And that's really what, what works so well about this record. Let's go ahead and move on to track eight, 1020 a.m. 10 20 a.m. 10 20.
1: yeah so when i first when i first heard this one before i knew really much about the lyric you can tell i mean it kind of just wears wears its theme on its sleeve that this is a dirge and that something has ended something has come to an abrupt and painful ending originally i thought it was kind of like a relationship song kind of thing i thought it was the death of the relation of a relationship and then you know it's a you know a a mid-morning it hits him that this really is over, she's gone, it's not. Um, but then you listen to it more, and it's like, it's, it's a passing. Somebody has died. And I kind of dug into it a little bit. I think the story behind it, and I don't know if this is even true, but I think it, he wrote this about his grandfather, and that 10.20 a.m. is when he found out that his grandfather had passed away. Somebody had called him and told him that his grandfather had died. And I feel like that kind of, that if, if that is true, that gels a lot with some of the earlier songs where there is this, you know, father worship kind of element to the song, to some of the songs, it really is like a pallbearer's song. You know, something's just been lost and the memories, you know, it's like immediately a trigger for all the memories and it's like a morning, yeah, it's a morning song. And this also feels like, okay. And I don't, I don't mean this as a slam. I hope that I don't mean this as a slam at all because I actually like Wes Anderson movies, but I feel like if there was a burial scene in a Wes Anderson movie you could slip this song right in seamlessly.
0: Oh well, yeah, yeah, that's not an insult at all. I could, I can see that. For a long time, I also thought this was the end of a relationship because I think he, that's a lot of what's going on in this album. And I read the mm-hmm. same thing that supposedly it's about his grandfather, and whether that's true or whether that's just the story he wanted to tell to the press. Uh, you know, obviously, we'll never actually know, but it does make more sense because this is the only one that comes at you with an acoustic guitar. So as you, you know, mentioned just before that they, uh, they approach things from a different way all the time. And this is the only time that I remember hearing acoustic guitar or or it sounds like an acoustic guitar. And this one almost sounds like it's an extended intro. Like you're expecting something Mm. more to happen, but it's the shortest song. And this is, like you said, most of these songs, I think two songs maybe crack four minutes, one gets close but the rest of these are 2 3 minutes long and this is still the shortest sh- song on the album it almost feels like it's going to sneak up on you in that, that that you know the last there's going to be some kind of crescendo or something at the end and there's not yeah there's no resolution uh, yeah so it just stays there and it's uh, you well, know and- a lot Along with fitted shirt, it's not there's not a lot going on with it lyrically, but there is a, a lot going on with it emotionally.
1: Right, because you really get that na 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 You know, it feels like weeping. You know, it feels like an emotional, like a little gush of emotion there. Yeah, and uh, it it just you know it kind of floats on the breeze. It's like a you know I don't know. It feels like a gray day, and it's just a, yeah, it's just a sad little song, and it's like this little. Moment of silence in the middle of this album um, that takes a step back. That maybe the relationship things, you know, relationships come and go, but a life has been lost, and it's kind of like a another emotional, you know, punch right there in the middle, right about the right time in in the album too. I think. So yeah, no, that's a great song.
0: And again, it, it, assuming that I've gotten this correct on the sequencing with the with the like, if you're thinking about this in vinyl, this is a great place for you know track two, side two. But also, I've only listened to this on CD or, or now digitally. The sequencing on this album is fantastic. And this yeah. comes right where you want it to come. It, it, this I don't know how well this song would work anywhere else on the record. Because it's taken you on this little journey. And, and it can also, you know, I think we've all been in that case where I remember I had a professor who told me when I was in university and having a hard time. So that, you know, events are cowards. They never come one at a time. So <laughs> that's good. Could very well be, uh, you know, he's gone through a breakup and his grandfather died and, you know, blah, blah, blah. The lyrics really feel like they came out all at one time very quickly because there's not a lot to it. But just something about that 10:20 a.m., you know, I'm, I wonder if I'll ever see you again. And it's a simple rhyme. Right. But it still it feels like that's the first thing that came and he didn't want to lose that emotion. And that's why he went with that.
1: Yeah, that's why it becomes like a primal you know it's a primal emotion like it's it's pretty one emotion and it it has to be simple like it's just perfect because of the simplicity of it the lyric and the music yeah
0: all right then so we're going to move on to track nine take the fifth is another this is just a rocker i love this one so there's (laughs) got that drum intro and this is it's really bouncy and on the record it's a little too slow for it but i feel like again if you're seeing this in a club in austin there are going to be people pogoing to this song right the whole it's just bouncy it's up and down and even if you're not talking about being in a punk club in you know, 1982 or something, this is the one where I think there'd be a ton of people just jumping up and down on this song live. Because, you know, it's going to be just a little bit quicker. You know, the sweat's going to be flying. They're throwing the song out here at track nine. So this is going to be like they're going to play a slow song before it. You know, not necessarily 10, 20 a.m., but they're going to play something slow and the crowd's going to be like, all right, and then they're going to bust out with this one and everybody's going to go crazy because this just, it just goes. And I like the story. This is a story told from a, a, a woman's point of view. And what I always took from this one, it's like a, a younger woman, let's say late teens, early 20s, who's going out and really feeling her power for the first time. This is where the boys are all coming to the yard. They're yeah. looking for her milkshake. Uh, and you know, let's throw it back to 2001. Why not? Fuck it. I feel like it's being told from this, uh, you know, the, from the female perspective and, and without being condescending or without being gross or without being whatever, and just sort of like maybe she's strutting her stuff or maybe not, but it's all the boy, Like, you know, just the, this idea, like you, 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 you know, take the fifth, you're not allowed to incriminate yourself. So they're all out there. They're trying to give their best shot for her to notice them. And just that all, this the whole thing coalesces, and this is just this is a great song. What do you think?
1: Well, yeah, no, you're right. This is a cl- uh, the crowd pleaser, you know, that you break out when you want everybody out. It's you know everybody can everybody's screaming the the you know plead the fifth and there everybody's groove and everybody understands what it's about. This song feels like I don't know if you. Ever did this as a teenager, uh, like scoop the loop or anything like that on a Saturday night. This feels like kids out in their cars scooping the loop, talking to each other, you know, boys being all, you know, a lot of bluff and bluster wouldn't know to, what to do with the girl if he got his hands on her and <laughs> the girls understanding that just flashing a smile Uh, is enough to get a boy all worked up and then give him a small roast is enough to send him home for the rest of the night. How fragile male egos are. Um, This is kids finding their sexuality and their power, you know, over each other. And, you know, what, you know, and things like that. It's it's just it's kind of like one of those celebrations of youth songs. It's fun. And I would I don't want to say dumb, but it's not it's you know, it's just I guess it would just be raw. You know, it's a little bit more raw. And you're yeah. right. It is like a fun party song. I think it works better in the club situation, probably than on the album as much. Cause especially, you know, and I, again, when I came upon this, I had, it was, you know, I had two kids. <laughs> I had two <laughs> kids and I was like hyper domesticated. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember what that used to be like, kind of, you know, and I'm like, you know, I'm 40, what, seven now. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's getting a little further in the windshield. But or in the rearview mirror. But it's like, no, you know, I guess as I get older, I kind of appreciate that more. Like you kind of like, oh, yeah, that's just really great because that's still happening. Like it never stopped. You know, when I it was happening before I came and it's going to keep happening after after I'm gone.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I don't think a rock star ever went broke trying to write songs for teenage kids. So uh,
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah.
0: And that was a that was a good one, and and I know I don't know if they released any singles off this album, and I know that it, it was well respected. I think it you know, did well critically, but I don't I don't know that this album has sold a hundred thousand copies to this day. And I know their later albums were fairly successful, and I'm I was surprised to learn that this one hadn't even officially gone gold yet.
1: Really? Yeah. Well, no, that's why I jumped on this one. I thought that was so like of all the Spoon records, he wants to do. Girls can tell. I'm like okay. Let's do that. I mean that's a great album. Yeah, it feels like a hidden album.
0: Yeah, and it you know built them up because they were they were down and out. This would have been the one that came out on Electra. If you know, this is the one I think this is a song that would have been released. This is the one you'd be hearing out of car windows all summer long. If there was yeah. any justice in this world, which we know <laughs> there's not. So, you know, here you go. Go go listen to Take the Fifth this summer and make me and yourself happy. All right. <laughs> so, we're going to go on to track 10. This book is a movie. Instrumental. What do you got?
1: This book is a movie, and this album is the soundtrack to the movie. It's kind of like this is, this is what solidifies my thesis here, Derek. This is a movie posing as an album, and this uh, is telling you basically at this point, okay, we're almost at the end. And we're going to just do an instrumental right now. We're going to askew the lyrics. We gave you the sad song. We just did the party song. Um, we've shown you all the characters. And we've got one more little scene at the end. And this is kind of like a denouement or something. Like We're, we're right here, just past the catharsis of Scoop in the Loop. And uh, we are uh, we're coming into the end. And is this the longest track on the album? I can't remember.
0: No, no, this is about three and a half minutes long. No, I think the longest track is Believing is Art.
1: Okay, yeah, no, so I don't know. It's like musically, this is just a really nice, it feels, sometimes they will draw, uh, they, the Royal Day will drop a instrumental to do filler in an album, but this album doesn't have any filler. This works here, it's the right place for it, and it feels intentional. It really does feel like, let's take a breath, because we're going to go out and we're going to devastate you at the end of this album. And that's my feelings about that one.
0: Can't believe you used the word denouement because that is the exact fucking thing I had in my notes. So, nice. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you gave me the even tracks. What am I you supposed were- to do? <laughs> I get first crack at it, man. I get to sound intelligent every once in a while. Broken clock is right twice a day,
0: man. Yeah, I know. Uh, so anyway, yeah, the, uh, I'm usually not a big fan of throwing the, uh, the instrumental on in there. Cause like you said, it usually, sometimes it feels lazy or a little bit like filler or, you know, somebody wants to do something and that was the only way they could make it work. And, and a lot of times they'll, they'll throw it in at the end, you know, like you're going to finish on a instrumental. It's like, Oh, come on. But this, like the penultimate track it works because it's just going through all those motions and it's just going to carry you on to the end you can almost feel like the credits are starting to roll but there's going to be that one more scene that you're going exactly. to see it's going to it's this is this is a song that's still bringing you somewhere you know much like you i don't really know anything about music itself so i, I don't have a ton to say about i have a hard time talking about instrumentals just because other than that, I love the guitar tone and the the drums are, are nice. The rhythms are good. But I really like the placement. I, just putting this right here on this album, You know, maybe that doesn't work on any other album, but right here on this album, man, does it work.
1: Yeah, and maybe it doesn't stand alone at all. And you wouldn't play this in the club because, man, you'd lose the audience right away. But this works so well on this album. That's what makes me think that there is like some grand scheme here. Or else, it is just the happiest accident that could have been. <laughs> like you, like you said, they probably they had more time. It's kind of like when John Carpenter had extra time to work on the thing because he usually slapdash at his movies, but he had extra like an extra year to work on it. So it's like now revered as like one of his best films because he just had extra time to do a better job. It's yeah. like they had a lot of time to tweak this to think about it, to add and subtract tracks, to make changes. Yeah, no, this is just really, it's a beautifully placed piece. And it's just a nice, beautiful little, it's a nice, beautiful instrumental that I feel like is almost, so if it is part of a movie, then it's the montage. We're going back and and revisiting all of our characters from the beginning, or from the beginning up to this point. And then we go into the next song.
0: Moving everybody into the same place so we can get to track 11, Chicago at Night. I love the organ that opens this up. I really like Britt Daniel's vocals on this one. This is the warmest his voice sounds on the album, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. The story behind this one, I, again, I don't know if I necessarily understand it, but I just like this thought of you know she had never you know, she had never been to Chicago at night,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: she's trying to do all of the things that she wants to do that she she feels like she needs to do so she can complete this journey. It's such a terrific way to end this record because sometimes those last songs like feel like a last song. There's something musically about them that you're like, if you put this anywhere else on the album, it would sound like garbage. And this isn't quite that, but it does, this is a great song to end on. And it does have some of that, just the, the way it swells up, it feels like it's bringing you out. And then the end of it with that, you know, she'd never been to the wall. It just repeated and then plays out. A terrific closer. I love this song. It just really puts a, puts a nice bow on this record. What do you think?
1: Yeah, no, I fucking love this song. Like this song is my all time favorite from this album. It also is the echo of the very first track. I almost feel so if we're going to go back to this idea that I feel like this is a story, this is the girl that left the guy in the first song at the very beginning of the album. And if the whole thing takes place in Austin, she's left. She's gone to Chicago. She's completely gone. And. I continue that on what you see before the wall, before the fall, the imagery with the uh, leaves and things like, you know, and, and, and and things like that. There's so much like poetic imagery in here. You cannot figure out exactly what is happening with her. Um, It leaves so much room for interpretation. It leaves room for an emotional interpretation. And I feel like this is her. She finally broke free. She got out of a rut and she broke free And she found out that every place is like every place else. She's in the same fix she was in originally, just in a different place. And it's kind of one of those things where we're young and we think, oh, I'll run off to a new place or I'll do this new thing or I'll swap up my partner and everything will be different. And sometimes it just isn't. You're in the same place you were because it's an internal thing rather than an external thing. It's a gorgeous song. It's such a great spoon song. It is one of the all-time great Spoon songs to me. Like, I, it is a definitive Spoon song for me. And I can just listen to this song over and over again. It's
0: so good. I love this one. I never thought about that. That was the person who broke up with it. I'm going to have to listen to the whole thing under that <laughs> lens, which doesn't take much to, as to, to get me to listen to this one again, because, yeah, man. I fuck.
1: Yeah, well, this is my crazy conspiracy theory. I'll show you the board on the wall <laughs> that I have with all the red <laughs> strings pointing to each other. <laughs> And uh, I Uh, I will make you a believer.
0: Yeah, you already got me. I just, I just now I want to listen to it that with that lens because that's great. And just the, you know, the thought of no matter where you go, you're still there. There you are. (laughs) There you you are. Yeah. Nick, what are your final thoughts about this record?
1: Well, Derek, I am very glad that this was on your list, and I was so glad I was able to snatch it up before anybody else did. And it was a surprise because I never would have in a million years expected this album. You know, to be able to talk about this one. I gotta say, it's probably my favorite Spoon album, and it's been just really fun just listening to it on repeat the last two, week, two weeks. I think I've been re- listening on repeat the last two weeks here. It's great. Everything that Spoon can do, yet it, it doesn't feel like a, a hodgepodge or something that's slapdashed together. It's like a work of... It's like its own work of art, and it's really beautiful, and I really, really love it. It's really great.
0: And Spoon, for me, has been one of the few bands of this era that I've really continued to follow. Because there was a a ton of records where I, you know, putting together that initial list where I realized, well, I like that record that came out whenever it was between 2001 and 2004. And I didn't necessarily follow that band's career, not quite as closely. But Spoon was one that I really kept up with and they were almost maddeningly consistent. Like every record that would come out would just be great to the point where it almost felt like, I almost feel like they didn't get the credit they deserved Just because they were just so consistently good. This is one that I I love to revisit. Two, three records that came out after are also fantastic records. And who knows? May end up on on this show in future seasons, that's for sure. This hits a sweet spot for me. Because this, to me, is Spoon's sound and where they go from here is all about reacting to this record as opposed to their first two
1: that's a good way to put it
0: it's lean it's mean it's 11 songs three songs are four minutes long I mean, everything else is barely cracking three you can chuck this one out like four times before you uh, you know you're done with your afternoon commute sometimes <laughs> so right. a great one to listen to and seeing a band that had been left for dead in the music industry but does it never feels desperate it has a little little bit of that you know fuck it we're just gonna do it we're gonna do what we want to do and and hopefully somebody will will figure out how great we are and that's exactly what happened you know i'm glad he no longer feels uh, so washed up at, at such a tender age
1: yeah i'm glad that they felt free that they were able to be free enough to make this album because i think again like you said it is a it's a defining album and it's everything else talks about this one after that so you yeah, know it's it's uh maybe it wouldn't have happened under different circumstances if everything had worked out at Electra and whatnot.
0: That's always a possibility. And, and as much as it caused some strife for the band themselves, I'm, I'm glad we ended up with at least this document of uh, the aftermath of that time. So I would like to encourage my listeners, of course, to listen to this record. And of course, also check out uh, Nicholas Pendleton on Facebook or Feral Boy and Gilgamesh, Dot com. And if you have not done so, please, if you enjoyed the show, maybe uh, write us a little review. I don't know if anybody's written me a review yet, but, you know, I'm a little bit ahead of myself, so maybe there's, there's some along the way that I'm just not aware of these days. If you would like to uh, co-host an episode, you can always go to my website, lovethisrecord.com, and I have a wish list there. If you see something that you fucking love, you know, send me an email. Let's uh, make this thing happen. Nick, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It was super fun talking about this record and I wondered if anybody else was going to pick it up, and I'm really glad that you did. So uh, I'm looking forward to our, our talk for season four, and goodbye. Thanks. Thank you for listening. You can find all of our episodes at LoveThisRecord.com. Intro and outro music by The Ashes of Grissom. And thanks as always to original patron, Mark Evers.